Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What do you want to talk about today, hey, Dad? Welcome to the club, brother. Sports we Talk meet every Tuesday at Waffle House. We'll be sure to get you your polo. And your complimentary visor. I want a polo and a visor, too. Does Gus hand those out while he's at Waffle House? He might. Gus is a big Waffle House guy. This is one redeeming quality. He needs to send a game check to somebody here in a little bit, too. They're keeping him employed. (laughs) Welcome to the show on this Monday afternoon. You want to be part of the conversation? You can absolutely do that on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad, thanks for being with us. At C Spire, they remind you that there's a lot of bull in wireless, but C Spire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. Here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines $45 $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull. Cspire.com. As always, we have a lot to get to with you on a Monday, though slightly less than normal because Mississippi State did not play this weekend. Uh, we will have plenty of time to get into what happened in Oxford on Saturday. Ole Miss dropping a seven point game to the Auburn Tigers. 35 28 was the final. Uh, it, it, I talked to somebody on the sideline at one point and said, man, this is a boring game. And maybe because the pace of the game was a little bit different, it wasn't as breakneck as some games, but I didn't think it was a boring game at all. I thought it was a wildly entertaining game where both play uh, teams made some plays. You had a huge amount of drama at the end. And I, I'm going to say let's just jump right to we've obviously got to get to the uh, the, the no call. And, and can we get this out of the way first? Be, because there are arguments to be made that, you know, one call in the course of a game, you know, you, there were there were plenty of opportunities for you to take care of what needed to be taken care of. More than plenty and, for Ole Miss in this case, but yeah. The, you're right. And there but. were drop passes that you can point to, and there were uh, an interception early on the first offensive drive that you can point to. There are a lot of things that you could point to that might have made the outcome different. But when Ole Miss, yes, there is a but. Hey, that's so happy to defend Ole Miss that he is right it now. It may never happen again. <laughs> And, and, and Haydad's not the only one. I mean, there, there were people all over the place going, wait, you're not going to review that. All right, so let's set the situation up real quick. Ole Miss is down to Auburn 27-21 because Auburn missed an extra point. 
Auburn went ahead uh, 27-21 on an 18-yard touchdown run by Tank Bigsby. He went airborne from the four-yard line, even though he didn't have to. Pretty impressive dive into the end zone. Extra point attempt missed, 27-21. Ole Miss, with 5.43 to play in the ballgame, gets a five-yard rushing touchdown from Jerry Ealy. Extra point by Luke Logan is good, and the Rebels go ahead 28-27, again with 5.43 to play in the game. Ensuing kickoff, kind of a squib kick. It wasn't a true squib. It was more like a pooch kick that hits short, skips low along the, the ground, and Sean Shivers is the deep man to receive for Auburn. And the ball scoots past him, and according to the referee, Mark Curls, the player did not touch the ball. It is uh, a touchback. The ball will be placed at the 25-yard line. Replay clearly shows that he did touch the football. You had immediate and clear recovery in the end zone. It should have been a touchdown for Ole Miss if you give them the extra point. At that point, the Rebels are ahead 35-27. to Now, what you don't know is what would have happened at, after that. You, you, you don't know. But you go from a one-point lead to an eight-point lead where, worst-case scenario, a touchdown and a two-point conversion ties the game and puts it into overtime. Now, Lane Kiffin has heard from the Southeastern Conference. And just a little while ago, he met with the media, and this is what he had to say. Sorry. <laughs> Apparently, didn't have I much. To I say. can't do a Kiffin impression. I can't make. I can't vamp for this. Well, you know. They told Hold me. On, here we go. Told me to kiss really off. All right, here it is. Review. Do you see value in that uh, procedure? Well, I was late to this um, because I was on the phone with John Day in the SEC, and so um, I've really struggled with this. Um, a lot and so I just had the conversation with him you know he called to explain what happened you know I really wish for our players for our fans that they could hear what I was just told Um, I think they deserve to but you know I asked they made sure to tell me there's a policy that I can't tell you the players or the fans um you know, what their, if you want to call it, explanation for that situation and how the TV copy, everybody in the country could see it hit them. And I asked the side judge, you know, why aren't they replaying that? Do I need challenge? He said, he said, they've already looked at it. There's nothing there. So I'm not allowed to say anything about the conversation, but I really wish that our fans and players could hear what I was told. You've uh, talked about this. Uh, I've, had, I've had to take a, about a five-minute uh, like power yoga class before I walked in here and said what I really want to. Because I, you know what I'd really like? I'd really like when you guys ask me questions about managing a game or how I play players, just say, well, that's a personal thing, and um, I can't discuss it with you. I, I would really like to be able to answer those questions like that. So that is Lane Kiffin towing the line on what he can say versus what he can't say 
with regard to the explanation that he got from the Southeastern Conference in the last hour. He towed the line, but he said a lot. And, and he, that he told you the truth. He told you the truth. And the, there's two things there in that that I think is a serious problem. Number one, if you're so afraid of your explanation, that tells you all you need to know. The fact that he yep. cannot relay their message from them to just his team. You can say, "Hey, we prefer you not talk about this in the media," but. It, the fact that he can't go into the locker room after practice today, well, I guess they practice in the mornings, but the fact that he can't go in the locker room today and say, hey, guys, I know you're hurting. Here's what they told me, and this is all we got. The fact that he can't do that is a serious problem, on top of the fact that he was told on the sidelines that they reviewed it and there was nothing there. Which is a lie. That is an out, that, that's a lie. That's a CYA. That is, a, that is an absolute lie. It's a lie. Because if they would have reviewed it, they would have seen what every single person in America saw. And that ball hit that dude's hand, went behind him, and Tyler Knight recovered it in the end zone. There is no person that could have looked at that and seen anything else. So they lied to him right there on the field, on the sideline, in that moment. Both of those things are egregious. A long-time problem I've had with kickoffs is, if you wave your hand for the fair catch... Fine, blow the whistle. But if the ball hits the ground and you just walk away from it like that, that's that ball is live. If the ball is just scuffed up the field ten yards and you just oh if no, we're fair t- catching it. If it's yeah, not touched, it's dead it? once it goes into the end zone. Is it? If it goes into the end zone untouched, yes. It shouldn't be. It should still be live. But regardless, that the, the, the SEC lied on national television. Yes. They didn't review anything. They just they realized they'd messed up again and had to do what they had to do to get through it. And and now the fact like I said, the fact that Kiff the, the the conference won't come out and just say, This is what we screwed up, it tells you everything you need to know. And I I'm gonna go tell y'all, if we go to Media Days next year, I'm gonna get up there and ask I guess Steve Shaw is still the the guy whoever no, the director official is now John McDade. Fine. I'm asking John Blake, why did that Twitter feed that y'all created and promised all this transparency, why is it just crap now? Why aren't you doing what you said you were going to do? Why are you afraid of telling the fans, we screwed up, here's how we're going to fix it? It's really that simple. It's embarrassing. It's Look, people screw up all the time. They didn't make particularly good coaching decisions, so the coaches aren't perfect. Time management was awful for Ole Miss towards the end of the game, and I think they made a couple of really bad personnel decisions earlier in the game. So coaches make mistakes. We make mistakes all the time. We're not expecting perfection. Just a, an ounce of transparency. I, just for the sake of it, found a NBA two-minute report after a playoff game in the yeah. bubble. You can. They, it's just one playoff game I picked, Heat Celtics. In the final two minutes of the game, the NBA, the day after the game, admitted to three missed calls for a playoff game. And they provided you video evidence of exactly where they screwed it up. That's all we're asking for. Not for you to be perfect. Just when you screw up, put your hand up and say, guys, we blew it. We will try to be better moving forward. Here's what we did wrong. That's all anybody's asking for. It doesn't change the outcome, but goodness, it makes it look like you care. There's not one thing that can change what happened on Saturday, but I'm going to give you, uh, I don't know, just a couple of little nuggets about what happened and who is not to blame, interestingly enough. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. 
right, a few things to share with you. Sports Talk Mississippi, then we'll get to some of your reaction on the C Spire text line. I do want to read one of these first because let's press pause just for a second. Johnny McComb sends us a message. He says, Ole Miss needs to leave the SEC due to corruption. Go join the ACC or the Big 12. The SEC will always show favoritism toward the big money schools. That's from Johnny McComb. Uh, John, that's a really, really, really bad idea. That's a terrible idea. That's uh, Ask Tulane and Georgia Tech and the University of the South, Sewanee, how it works out to leave the SEC. It's a really bad idea. All right. We'll get to some more of the reaction coming up in just a second. Two or three thoughts I've got on this. Number one, not that there's any award that goes for this. I will tell you that there is an interesting reaction that you can get from the head coach when he sees the video for the very first time after the game, right before he's supposed to do his post-game radio interview. Oh, where, where can I find this uh, reaction? You can't. I'm telling oh. you about it right now. Oh, that's a shame. I thought there was like some video. I was about to be no, clicking on that. No, no, no. <laughs> How much editing uh, uh, is required to translate no, what no, you saw? It, it really, it really was not. I mean, it, it was not expletive laden. It was uh, just the reaction that you was. You, you got to be kidding me. Um. And then, frankly, Lane Kiffin gave me the exact same explanation that he gave the rest of the media that he gave today when he was talking uh, about, look, I, I mean, I asked the side judge, you know, what, what, are they reviewing it? Why aren't they reviewing it? Do I need to burn a challenge? By the way, I, I went back and synced a, a stopwatch up with the video. From the time the whistle blew for the ball to be blown dead in the end zone, so Mark Curls, the official, the, the referee, blows the whistle and calls a touchback. And remember, you got a 40-second play clock. I guess it's 25 seconds after a kickoff. From the time he blew the whistle, including giving an explanation to the fans and the TV audience in attendance that the ball was not touched, it'd be Auburn ball first, it, it took 49 seconds. And what I haven't had a chance to do yet... Hey, Dad, this may be something that would be of interest to you. Is just kind of pull some random kickoffs on touchbacks. I'm curious how long it takes normally because it sure felt in real time like the ball went from being yeah. blown dead to being spotted and Auburn snapping in a hurry. It felt you fast. Seen spotlight. They knew. Okay, so a couple of other things. Let me help you in case you have misguided anger. I noticed on multiple online outlets on Sunday, people posting the contact information and place of work, etc., for Mark Curl as the referee. Number one, don't be that guy or don't be that gal. No. Number two, it's actually not Mark Curl's fault. Now, you could say, well, he missed the call on the field. He did, but if you look at where he was, there is no way for him to have judged in real time that that ball was touched and it was down in the end zone. Now, I would say you could use a little deductive reasoning based on the reaction of Sean Shivers immediately after the football passed him where he turned and sprinted 
for five yards before slamming on the brakes when a little light bulb went off on his head. It was like, oh, crap, I've got to sell this as if I didn't touch it. That maybe that would have been a reason to not blow the whistle. And then if you need to go back and review as to whether or not he touched it or not, you can do it. Which is what they're supposed to do, right? Then it would have been a mandatory review because why, guys? Because why? It's a scoring play. It's a scoring play. Blaine Kiffin did say after the fact, he said, it's in effect a scoring play that they didn't review. They review all scoring plays. Watch how many times on even obvious touchdowns in college football, especially in the SEC, you will see the umpire stand over the football before they allow it to be snapped for the extra point on an innocuous touchdown. Happens every single game on almost every touchdown. If it's even a little bit close, didn't happen. Second, you might could say you want to be angry at the side judge who told Lane Kiffin there's nothing to review. Well, guess what? They do have headsets on, but I don't know that it's necessarily the replay official talking into the headsets of all the officiating crew. Probably the message that the side judge was trying to relay to Lane Kiffin was every play is reviewed. If they saw a reason to stop it, they would. Lane Kiffin asking the side judge whether or not he should use a challenge, he's got to make that call on his own. Lane did say after the game that, you know, using a challenge to review a play is kind of pointless in college football because they look at everything. In hindsight, he certainly should have used a challenge because then you force them to stop and look at it. And if you watch the TV copy, or if you were watching on television, you may have heard right before the snap of the ball a massive boo. Did you guys hear that watching it? Did you notice that? Mm -hmm. That is because... And and here's the This is really fascinating to me. The video crew inside the stadium that does replays on the video board showed two or three reviews that it was clearly close, and the last one they showed that elicited that massive boo, they froze it on the hand of Sean Shivers and the football apparently touching his hand, which we found out after the fact absolutely happened. And then if you listen to Jordan... Rogers, the analyst, Tom Hart, the play-by-play guy, they just said there's no possible way you cannot pause and look at that. Oh, it's possible. Not only is it possible, it was done. Happened. And now for the third time this season, coincidentally, I guess, (laughs) Auburn, (laughs) let me back up, let me back up. For the second time this season, Auburn wins a football game because of a replay that didn't happen. And you never know what might have happened if Kentucky had scored going in in week number one. They threw a great article like the next play. Great article from uh, Joseph Goodman of AL.com, basically laying out that Auburn should be 0-5, but the officials have gifted him three wins. My my question, though, I mean, how does the SEC continue to let this happen? If this was in a vacuum, I mean, people would be mad today. They would, because that shouldn't happen. If they, if they cared, they'd fix it. But that's the point. 
That, it, that it's right decades there. Decades of this. Th- this happens all the time. They've got all the technology in the world, and yet here we sit on another Monday talking about officials screwing something up that is inexcusably screwed up. And Arcan- we talked about Arkansas a couple weeks ago. They at least gave an explanation. Now it was a bogus lie, but they gave an explanation. They're silent today, and they're putting a muzzle on Ole Miss's coach because they're terrified of the explanation they gave him getting out into the public. It is a league that distributes $50 million to 14 teams and then pockets $50 million themselves and they make revenue in other avenues, I'm sure. How can a league that has this much money continue to let gross incompetence at best affect the outcome of their games? We're talking about one team who ironically is nearby the league office. I'm sure that is just a coincidence, but optics are a thing. Three times this season, be the beneficiary that directly affected the outcome of a game by officiating mistakes. The Kentucky game is the most egregious one because at least they reviewed it. The, the running backs, half of his body is in the end zone, but they, got they it wrong. still don't give him the touchdown. And then Bo Nick spikes it backwards and they lie. They completely lie about not having a clear and immediate recovery. And then this week, they lie to Ole Miss's coach on the sideline and say, oh, we looked at it, there's nothing there. When everybody with eyes saw that there is something there, accepting this at the league office, it, well, what's the phrase? Uh, acceptance is complacent, or I don't remember. But basically, as long as they're letting this go on without addressing it, it means they're okay with it happening. Because if you want to do it the right way, what they would have done today is released a statement saying, we screwed up. It, it, it happens. We screwed up. The officials should have reviewed that play because... Video evidence showed that it hit the player's hand and was immediately recovered in the end zone by an old Miss player. That was not the call on the field. It was wrong. It was a mistake. We will work to get better. And everybody at least is okay with the transparency. I'm sorry it doesn't change the outcome, but I'm sorry it at least acknowledges the fact that, hey, we screwed up. I mean, you guys have kids, right? What do you teach them to say after they make mistakes? I told them to lie their head off. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you, I'm sorry. Admit nothing. I, I screwed up. I'm sorry, Dad. That's yeah. what you teach them. The, the, the blame in this lies not with Mark Curls, the official, or the side judge who said whatever it was he said. The blame it. lies with the replay official in the stadium and the replay official in the Southeastern Conference office in Birmingham. Those and? are the two people that messed it up. Who do you want me to say besides that? The guy in charge of the officials for allowing this. Oversees the officials. Fire yes. somebody today. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Question on the kickoff not recovered by Ole Miss. Is it not a live ball after going 10 yards and the receiving team has to down the ball or get tackled unless it goes out of the end zone? Could Ole Miss not get on the ball in the end zone regardless of if the Auburn player touched it? What am I missing? It is a live, It is a live ball in the field of play until it breaks the plane of the end zone if it is not touched by a player. If it is touched by a player, it is a live ball until it is recovered. Once the ball goes into the end zone in the college game, it's a dead ball. You see guys all the time you see all the guys all the time allow a kickoff to just sail over their head, hit in the end zone and kick out. 
Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that, but at least in those situations here. But if the ball hits in the field of play before it rolls into the end zone, that should just be a live ball. It should. I, I agree that it should. You should have to recover the kick as a football move, but that's not the rule. Uh, if the SEC is not going to use the review process properly, I'd rather not have a review process and please stop blowing turnovers dead. Yeah, whatever happened to let the play play out and then review it. Just let it go. That's what really, for lack of a better term, uh, screwed them over against, or in the Arkansas-Auburn game, is the officials prematurely blew the play dead, and then on replay you're like, oh, we shouldn't have. Just let it go. That's what they're supposed to do, remember? If that was the emphasis. In these kind of situations, you just let it go because you can review it. They could have easily just come back and said, oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't touch him. Everyone Bill in Collinsville says, I was traveling and listened to the Auburn broadcast. Had no idea it was even a close play. They just said it didn't touch him and moved on. Got home and saw it on Facebook. <laughs> well, hey, uh, the, uh, the people that are on Auburn's radio crew are going to defend Auburn. You know, I, that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. And it's less egregious than it was now. My good friend Andy Burcham is the radio play-by-play voice of Auburn. Uh, he sometimes criticizes officials and, and whatnot, but in comparison to the uh, late Rod Bramblett, who I, again, was a friend and I thought the world of him, it was hard for me to listen to Rod, though, because it was it didn't matter the sport. It did not matter if it was football, basketball, or baseball. The boys in the striped shirts were out to get the Auburn Tigers. Uh, just, uh, just how it goes. What do you make of the the fact that they're putting a muzzle on Kiffin? I, I'm mind blown. No, by that. I mean it's league policy. I mean, it's not. This is not new. You're not allowed to talk about officials, and you're not allowed then to talk about the explanations you get from the league. They but shouldn't have told him anything. Even with the players, I mean, I, I get maybe, but, but it, the process on the players. Place. The process in place is after a game each week, a coach can submit things that they are concerned about or questionable cause to the officials. Basketball does it as well. Baseball can do it as well. They can submit those to the SEC office, and then they are entitled to an explanation for their complaints. This just happens to be a very public one that cost Ole Miss a football game, in all likelihood. I just I don't understand why they can't be transparent. That's that's really the root of the problem. Not that they blew a call. That happens. That happens to everybody, uh, almost on a weekly basis. Uh, it happens all the time. Some Penn State fans are probably upset today because that was close in the Indiana game. It, you mean it, the one where they spent three minutes reviewing it to make the decision one way or the other? Yeah, which is what should be done. But Penn State fans can be bad today. <laughs> <laughs> it's the transparency. Uh, I mean, I referenced it at the top, but I Googled just NBA two-minute report. First thing that came up was a playoff game, a playoff game where the NBA said three calls in the final two minutes our refs got wrong. Here's exactly what they were wrong about, and here's a video explaining what they got wrong. It doesn't change anything. One of them in a close game was a miscalled shooting foul that literally changed the outcome of the game. It doesn't mean anything the next day because a loss is still a loss. But at least, at least, people got to see the NBA saying, hey, our refs are human. Here's exactly where they screwed up. And it's for the world to see. Why can the SEC not do the same thing? It's even more understandable because these are not full-time guys. They have other jobs. This is what they do as a side hustle. 
it probably shouldn't be that way. They should be full-time officials if you've got $50 million to give to yourself every year. But since they don't do that, it's more understandable that these guys are human and that they screw up. So just put your hand up and say you screwed up. And everybody would accept it and at least move on. Instead, for five weeks now, you get an Auburn team that is scraping by with a win because of a call, and all they've done for three calls is released one statement lying about what they saw. That's it. And in the league office is in Birmingham. And again, I'm not saying that the league office in Birmingham is why Ole Miss lost the game on Saturday. It's location. But if you have the location where it is, and an Auburn team wins a game for the third time this season, in part because of an officiating mistake, and the guy on the crew has ties to Auburn and the Birmingham area, shouldn't you be a little bit more transparent about how that went down instead of covering everything up and keeping it hidden, even though it's not even that official's fault, it's the replay guy's fault, but optics are a real problem. And when people think that there's something sketchy going on and then they see what happens on the field and suddenly you could shut all everybody up, myself included, by just admitting that you screwed up. I wouldn't say another word. Okay, they're humans, I get it. People make it's, mistakes. I do it every day. All good. Just try to be better. That's it. It's it's the only job in America, really. Outside of like some high level government top secret jobs where you can completely mess up and there are very few, if any, repercussions. You don't even have to, you don't even have to face the music. You as the official who blew it, you don't have to come out and answer any questions. You just you just go on to the next day. I, I, I cannot. I looked on the official box score, and I don't have my flip card from the game. I don't know the name of the replay official. I'm not 100% sure that I'd give it if I knew it, but it's out there somewhere. I guess if you really want to dig for it, you can find that. Um, it was not. What was the guy's name? Doyle. Doyle Jackson? And I got a, yeah, like, it was man. not Doyle Jackson. <laughs> He's not doing that anymore. I didn't think so, yeah. Yep, not not still in the uh, not still in the mix. Uh, a couple of other messages on the ceasefire text line. Greg, with regard to the SEC, says, "Don't pee down my neck and tell me it's raining." Jeff says there wasn't this much discussion about bad calls before they had all of this technology to eliminate the bad calls. I'm not wrong. You, I would like to see college football. Maybe the SEC can lead the way on this. Adopt the uh, the NFL challenge system. Outside of two minutes to go in the half or the end of the game, or maybe it's just the end of the game, you get two challenges. You get them both right, you get a third. Period. I, I, I like that. It, it because is there's no ambiguity watched, at all, like you got on Saturday, where a coach is being told, yeah, we looked at it, uh, but you know, yeah. didn't see anything. It I'm challenging that. it. I'm challenging it. Period. And it's also yeah. good for pace of play. I mean, I was watching an NFL game at, at, at some point yesterday. Where the guy's down a yard short of the yard to gain, but he gets an incredibly favorable spot. They, you know, they spot it forward a yard. They get the first down, and you move on. Well, the coaching staff for whichever team it was going against, they could have challenged it right there. But you make the conscious decision: it's a yard on the minus thirty-five of the field. Probably not worth burning a challenge right here. I may need it later on a scoring play or something crucial later. And so you're not stopping the game constantly with this. Go ahead and review all scoring plays like we're doing right now. Coaches get two challenges a game, and we're not spending three and a half minutes to review a spot on a second and six play in the middle of the second quarter as to whether or not it's second and six or second and seven. 
and you got the spot wrong because that doesn't matter. But not getting it right on whether or not a ball was touched by a receiving player that goes into the end zone is recovered by the other team, yeah, that's not okay. All right. There's some stuff to get into about the way the game unfolded. Auburn gets the win. They improved to 3-2. and two. Ole Miss takes the loss. They fall to 1-4. and four. Uh, Auburn has got LSU this weekend, who all of a sudden looked like a different football team. Yeah, they did. Uh, Ole Miss goes to Vanderbilt, where they desperately need to get a win. And should. I'm sure that was a welcome sight when they watched the film, I assume, yesterday of next week's opponent, and they decided, ah, thank you. And Derek Mason said today, if we got 53 players ready to go, we're going to play. Great. I hope it's 54. Yeah. Um, you know what kind of blows my mind? Derek Mason, here's a hot take for you, a prediction. Derek Mason will be the defensive coordinator at either LSU or Alabama next season. I have to battle Zach Arnett for that job, but okay. It'll be one of the two. Florida is going to be the case. And Derek Mason being at LSU sucks for all of us, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Because what they got right now is not Derek Mason. Randy in Starkville sends us a picture of a baby crying while wearing an Ole Miss onesie. Yeah, that's pretty good. No, no, that, that's fair, and, and that's great. And and you're you're exactly right, Randy. You're exactly right. But it's every week. Just remember, it could be you. Not State could. still has Auburn to come. You yeah. could be next. It it will be you at some point soon. It's been State. It's happened before. Now it's happened again. Somebody said with regard to the whole being transparent and just saying, hey, we messed this up and here's how exactly what happened and here's exactly what we messed up, said most people will be understanding and quicker to forgive if you're open and honest. Why is that a problem? Because they're okay with the outcome. All right, we'll talk about the uh, game and some poor decision-making late by Ole Miss that additionally affected the outcome of the game. Sports Talk Mississippi. All right, plenty of time there spent on officiating. First three segments of the show. Winners and losers coming up, by the way. we got some great winners coming for you this week, this Monday. Uh, and from some different areas that I think are uh, maybe going to be entertaining. Know that you can send us your winners and losers from the weekend on the C Spire text line at 601-879-4395. Statistically, Ole Miss and Auburn were almost dead even in the game. Almost dead even. So what are the things that happened in the game beyond the officiating blunder late that could have allowed Ole Miss to leave with a win and get to two and three on the year instead of be being one and four right now as they go in uh make the uh, the turn to the second half of the season. Well there are a couple of things. One, you can go to the very first drive of the game. Ole Miss just they forced a punt. No, they got the opening kickoff. Won the toss, got the opening kickoff, drove right down the field, got it inside the 20. Uh, they, I think they went three and out first because That's there was right. a Both big drop. Were, it was three and out, three and out. Yeah. and it was, So it was their second drive of the game. Drove down the field, looked like they were about to stick it in the end zone, and then the turnover bug pops up again. Matt Corral throws an interception in the back of the end zone to apparently nobody. Um. 
Borky, you and I were talking about this a second ago. You, you thought it was for Elijah Moore. I had the broadcast think... focused on anyway, so that's all I got to see. And if that's who his intended target was, um, his route was taking him um, a couple steps out of the back of the end zone. Elsewhere? Yeah. It, it was, yes. Uh, I actually think the ball was intended for Jonathan Mingo, who was running a slant toward the goalpost and had his progress pretty significantly impeded. Uh, you know, it was almost like the uh, the defender was a Brian Haydad clone who sometimes just, need, just needs to give somebody a hug. So it was, uh, it was kind of a touching moment. Uh, you know, about a yard deep into the end zone, while play was going on, um, Chandler Tutt for Auburn decided that that was a, a good time to give Jonathan Mingo a hug. And so they had a hug, and instead Mingo wasn't able to get to even the general area of where the pass was going, and uh, it was intercepted. That's it. I have no idea if Mingo would have gotten there or not. No idea. But it was a turnover on the first drive and a missed scoring opportunity. There were three massive drops. Now, if I tell you, hey, you remember in the third quarter when it was second and five and Mingo dropped the ball, you may be like, huh, what are you talking about? I can't point exactly to the point in the game where it happened, but here's what I'll tell you. Second and five, Ball hits Mingo on a slant in stride. He drops it. Brings up in third and five. They don't convert. They have to punt. There was some momentum at that point. And so that's where you just give a possession away. You just completely give away a possession. It was two, the, the drive started at 237 to go in the third. So the drop yeah. happened on their own 40. It was second and five, uh, excuse me, with 257 to go in the third. Okay. And then Corral was sacked the next play. They had to punt. And then you got to punt it away. And so you give away a possession. Don't know how that possession would have ended. But if you play the game forward, right, to, to the point that, okay, maybe you don't score, but maybe you take two or three more minutes off the clock and you drive down, guess what? There's less time for Auburn at the end when they're trailing by one and they've got to drive down the field. You know, who, who knows how it affects the game. But things like that affect the game when you give away possessions. And then on the final drive of the game where Ole Miss has got to get the ball into the end zone and kick an extra point to force overtime, Kenny Yaboa on a deep slant over the middle, split the safeties wide open. I don't know if he would have gotten into the end zone. My guess is probably not. There were multiple Auburn players around him. We have seen him break tackles. We've seen him shed guys. But after the drop, there was no shot. If he catches it, guess what you still got? You still have a timeout left. You can take that timeout and then work up the play that you've got to, you know, try and score a touchdown from the three, the five, whatever. That's easier to do than trying to score from the 40. What else cost Ole Miss? Time management on the final drive was disastrous. Lane Kiffin has been famously outspoken about how poor uh, the clock is managed late in college football games and has talked about the fact that if you do that in the NFL, you get killed for it. Nobody even writes about it if it happens in college football. Well, we're going to talk about it just for a second. On a first down conversion on the final drive of the game, the clock stops. The ball was set very, very quickly. The ball was set with a minute two to play. Ole Miss snapped that ball with 50 seconds left. They burned 12 seconds before getting a snap off after a first down. 
when the clock had stopped. And then on the very next play, they gain, I don't know, six yards, whatever the next play was, and it took forever. I think Corral kept it and scrambled on that play, was tackled, and my immediate reaction was take the timeout, and they don't. You watch it, and you're going, okay, those are precious seconds. Another 12, 15 seconds go off the clock, and it's now under 30 seconds before you get the snap off for the next play. And so, at minimum, you burn 20 to 25 seconds on the final drive. You get down to the very end of the game. You have to throw up a heave at the end that gets picked off on a throw back across the body when the quarterback was across the line of scrimmage. Didn't even give yourself a chance. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm as we roll into the second hour on this Monday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. I hope at some point this afternoon, and I think we'll have time to do it, we can get into uh, some of what happened in the NFL yesterday. What a fun football Sunday. You had a snow game, although the score wasn't all that close. Those are always fun to watch, especially when they happen earlier than they should. You watched perhaps the final game with Cam Newton as the starter of the Patriots. Yeah, what a fall-off from the first few weeks. No doubt. An incredible Sunday night game that saw one of the best plays you will ever see by guys who, who is from the state of Mississippi. A complete brain fart by Todd Gurley that cost the Falcons a win. The day after the same thing happened in the college game. <laughs> I left my house. The Falcons were winning. I got to the studio. They had lost. Isn't it the most Atlanta sports thing ever to lose because you scored a touchdown? Because they scored. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into An winners and losers before we start too far out of that. An epic game between the Browns and Bengals with more evidence that Joe Burrow is uh, going to be pretty darn good at this quarterback thing in the National Football League. A missed kick that would have sent the, sent the game to overtime by the biggest roller coaster kicker in the NFL in 2020. The Saints win, but it wasn't pretty. The Bills win, but it wasn't pretty. The Cowboys lose, and it really wasn't pretty. Aaron Rodgers, uh, yeah, he's not dead yet. Tom Brady, he's still alive and kicking. <laughs> Imagine that. And um, Justin Herbert's pretty good as a rookie as well. So we'll get into all of that, man. It's just a gazillion storylines. Plus, you've got Monday Night Football coming up tonight. The one-loss Chicago Bears, 5-1 and one on the year, headed to the West Coast to take on the L.A. Rams and Jared Goff. Tonight Rams they get exposed six point favorite. for the frauds that they are. That will happen tonight. I hope you're not one week off like you were with Carolina. Hey, but Don't I you... nailed that. It just took a little while. <laughs> it took a little while. It took a little while. All right, here's what we do on Mondays. We look at what happened over the weekend, and we get winners and losers. All I do is win. Got losers. Americans love a winner. 
and will not tolerate a loser. Well, sometimes it is nice for us to get random anecdotal evidence that, yes, indeed, you listen to the show. We know it's true, but, I mean, ultimately, we're looking at each other and talking into microphones, and we have to trust that you're listening, whether you're driving in your car or you get the Super Talk Live app or you're watching on Super Talk TV or maybe you're sitting at your desk kind of listening at late in the day on the computer, whatever it is. Thank you. We're glad you listen. And then sometimes there are certain segments that really grab your attention. And this is one of those, winners and losers. Because I started getting emails yesterday about a particular winner from the state of Mississippi. We have gotten multiple messages on the ceasefire text line. And this lady deserves her due. Allie McDonald celebrating her birthday yesterday, gets her first win on the LPGA Tour. The LPGA Drive One Championship played at beautiful uh, Reynolds Lake Oconee. It's uh, about halfway between Atlanta and Augusta. A tap-in for par on the 18th at Great Waters set off a, as the story in the AJC, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution says, set off a Harpo Marks-like round of horn honking from the 50-plus watercraft that had assembled to watch in the cove, and that was just the beginning. After getting doused by numerous bottles of water from her co-workers as she walked to the scoring area, McDonald was escorted up the hill to find a birthday cake. Her pals Catherine Kirk and Amy Olson lit the candles and led the crowd in a chorus of happy birthday. Her second cake she also celebrated with her mom and her dad on Saturday night. Allie McDonald, who was outstanding as a college golfer at Mississippi State, was outstanding as an amateur golfer originally from Fulton, Mississippi, is now an LPGA Tour winner. Congratulations. You are literally, figuratively, and all everything in between a winner on this Monday. Allie McDonald, nice job. Shot a three under 69 in her final round to finish 16 under for the week. A one-stroke victory over Danielle Kang, who shot 68 yesterday. Uh, Two shots better than the uh, rookie Bianca Pagdanganon. Oh, anyway. Yeah, yeah. A lot lot of good players on the LPGA. Uh, It felt like it was only a matter of time, but finally being able to hold that trophy when you walk off the uh, green on 18 on Sunday – Really big deal. That's just awesome. What do you guys got? Give me a winner. The obvious one. Uh, congrats to DK Metcalf for showing up on every high school preseason highlight montage that every coach will show their team for the rest of time. One of the more impressive athletic feats you'll see. Because Buda Baker ran like a 4-4 at the Combine. It's not like he chased down some linebacker or defensive end that got an interception and was just huffing and puffing down the sidelines. He had a 10-yard space between him and the interceptor and also had to divert his route a little bit. Somebody came in front of him yeah, and he had to he slow down for a second and still caught him and saved points altogether. No field goal, no touchdown after that. Unbelievable how fast that guy is. But, you know, it's uh, crazy what he overcame not being a top-ten player in the state of Mississippi and uh, 
falling down to the uh, the late second round uh, of the draft. Yeah, you remember that conversation that uh, w- went viral? The the conversation where Pete Carroll called and talked to DK and told him, "Hey, we're about to draft you." And DK goes, "Man, what took y'all so long?" He was so excited. <laughs> He, he, his second contract is uh, is going to be a good one. Hey, Dad, I know you were watching that last night. It was like he realized what happened and said, "I'm going to catch this guy." And they're yeah, great awareness. I mean, and then just, superior athletic. Yeah. Yes. And a good tackle at the end to finish it off. Also. Yeah. Yeah. DK Metcalf should have had him on. Y'all should have had him on defense all those years. Baker might gave him a shout somebody. out on Twitter too. That was uh, pretty yeah. cool. Lodge and respect. Brown were enough on offense. You could have had Metcalf playing linebacker. Maybe you would have stopped somebody. It is always funny seeing maybe Van people... Jefferson wouldn't have transferred. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But seeing people realize NFL people realize that Ole Miss on one team had AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, a starting tight end in the NFL, and Dawson Knox, an offensive line with multiple NFL players on it, a running back who's on the Texans practice squad, and a quarterback that. Was great in his own right and lit up the XFL and had the one of the if not the worst red zone offense in all of college football. Averaged like 16 points per game in SEC games. Couldn't get open. It is still unfathomable that Ole Miss could not have a winning record with all of that on their offense. And it, you know, goes to show why you made a coaching change after last season. But anyway. What was it? DK Metcalf topped out at like twenty-two and a half miles per hour on that uh, that run. Mike sends us yep. a message says, uh, "My winner's a certain former Ole Miss wide receiver who ran a four point one nine forty yard segment in a game." Pretty I didn't good. know they'd broken it down that way, but they're stat people that are smarter than I with stopwatches and whatnot. Hey, Dad, give me a winner, Dak Prescott, because if you watch the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. He, that guy might get more money than Mahomes after all. <laughs> he might be worth $60 million a year. My God, that team is brutal without Dak Prescott. They weren't great with him, but they got no shot. And my God, how does your quarterback get laid out in the middle of the field and nobody gets thrown out of the game trying to defend him? That team has huge, huge issues. Dak Prescott was the Band-Aid holding everything together, and now you see what's going on. Jerry Jones has no choice. If he doesn't pay that guy... There's going to be full-on revolt in Dallas. McCarthy mm. might be one and done. Yeah, he really might. Did you see the clip going around yesterday about how he had done research that teams that win four or more division games usually end up in the playoffs? Well, thanks, Albert Einstein. I had no clue that that was the case. I thought you could just go winless in the division and still get in. Some serious analytics right there. Oh my god. I got one more winner for you. Innovative. Before we go to the break, and then we're gonna get to uh, we'll get to some losers. We'll get to your winners and losers from the weekend. Also, Ron Rivera, head coach of the Washington yeah, football yeah, yeah. team, who has been battling cancer while still coaching his football team. He's been private about it. And generally speaking, he hasn't made it about him. You you would you you hear players talking about it. Well, he he got his all clear after his last cancer treatment, and they had a parade for him, a socially distanced parade down the long hallway as he was leaving the hospital where all the nurses in masks were throwing confetti and they were ringing bells, and then he got to go and ring the bell for no more cancer on the way out. Ron Rivera, big-time winner.
I got a winner for you. Let's hear it. Steve Insminger and Ed Ogeron. Starting a true freshman quarterback. I'm not even talking about T.J. Finley's play, which is really good, really solid. But starting a true freshman quarterback while sitting at 1-2 and on the year, they put together a game plan that was designed to allow T.J. Finley to have success early, and he did just that. I don't know if that single performance cost Miles Brennan his job. My, my guess is probably not. I think Miles Brennan has done enough to have earned that job. Future's pretty bright at quarterback at LSU. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. by the way, they got Max Johnson as, I guess, the third string quarterback, son of former NFL and Super Bowl winning quarterback Brad Johnson, who looked pretty okay when he came in that ballgame at the end. For what it's worth, Orgeron, after the game and then also earlier today, insisted that Brennan is not losing his job, that when he's healthy, he will retain it. But, man, I know... But also admitted admitted that he was not going to push Brennan as hard to get back as quickly because they had better quarterback play than they realized. Yeah, and like you, I agree that Brennan has done nothing that should cost him his job. But I wonder if deep down they're thinking about it for for a couple of reasons. One, he obviously looked very good. He is a freshman. He made one bad mistake throw. That interception was awful. But he's a freshman in his first start, so you're going to get that. But they're not good enough defensively to win anything of consequence this year. It's not going to happen. And while Brennan's been good and has done nothing that should cost him his job, it's just one game, but I saw more talent and more upside with this kid than I do the guy that's going to come back and take the job when he's healthy. And so I wonder if deep down they're thinking, you know, we're not winning the SEC this year, and we've got this freshman that's big, and he can run for his size too. Like he's not the slow, he's not the fastest guy out there, but he's athletic enough. He's not a statue at 6'6", 250. He can move a little bit. He's a big kid with a big arm and was not overwhelmed in his first start at all. Maybe we go ahead and give him the reins because that's our future right there. Yeah, but I wonder Miles if they're Brennan having that could be conversation. The starter for the next th- this year and two more. I know that's, and I think one he's of them is more talented than the other, which is why it's so hard because he's done nothing that should make him lose his job. But either mm. did I only remember this because he played at Furman. Either did Ingle Martin at Florida. He got hurt. A guy named Chris Leak took over. Martin didn't do anything wrong. But never got his job back because Leak was younger and better. And then Leak won a national championship. It happens. It happens. Yep. All right, hey, Dad, you got a loser? I got a pair of them, and they did the exact same things. But Penn State and the Atlanta Falcons. Guys, when the Red Sea opens up and they're letting you go in, something's something's amiss. Just hit the ground. Todd Gurley thought about it, but he thought about it too late. And then Penn State, Indiana gives us one of the, the all-time iconic football pictures you'll ever see of the quarterback stretching out and his body no more than a half inch above the ground in all places, touching the uh, the pylon there. Uh, both teams, by scoring, hurt themselves. Football, it's a hell of a game. Mm. 
And then the Falcons' defense is so bad. <laughs> There's only a minute left. They didn't just give up a field goal to lose it. So, literally. A touchdown. <laughs> I leave my house. I come to the studio to do the podcast yesterday, and I see on Twitter that the Falcons have choked. I'm like, what do you mean? There's only a minute left. Surely that didn't happen. Oh, it happened. It happened, Brian. You should never have uh, doubted it. Did you see so, the yes. touchdown before you left? Yes, I no no I I knew I knew that Gurley had scored, but it's like it doesn't matter. There, there's not enough time left. That they're, they're going to hold them. Nope, it was. That was wrong. There was, was enough, enough time. time. Indeed, and and what a long re- replay or review about the clock and what should be on it before the final. It was two two plays. I I couldn't tell exactly what was going on, but they allowed Detroit to go to the line and spike it. And so there was one second or two seconds left for one final play. <laughs> hey, that's tough. Borky, any losers for you? Yeah, quarterback shuffling. Uh, we didn't get to it just because officiating took over so much time. But I, I think um, go, taking Crowell out in two key situations for Ole Miss, I think also really damaged them in that game. In the third quarter, after – so Crowell throws the interception – and they basically give him a long timeout. They put Plumley in for a little bit. He gets a first down, and then they kind of sputter there and put Corral back in the game, and he starts playing well. They're running the football well with him in the game. He's running the football well, and he's not forcing anything. He looked much better week over week. Going into the halftime locker room, knowing he's playing well, you get a stop to start the third quarter. Auburn snaps the ball over the punter's head, and you put Plumley in the game, run up the middle three times, do a fake field goal, get no points on that possession. And then you're up one with four minutes to go in the game. You put Plumley back in the game, two predictable runs up the middle, and then you throw Corral back in to throw one pass that's just short of the sticks. I think if you're going to, if you insist on doing that, you have to at least have a threat of throwing the ball down the field because Auburn keyed on the run, and it didn't work yet again. And there were flashes of Rich Rodriguez and Matt Luke. I mean, I, it looked like a Rich Rodriguez and Matt Luke coach team at times on Saturday because of the quarterback shuffling, and I never thought they would fall into that. If you insist on playing Plumley, you have to throw the football, or else what happens Saturday is your future. And you picked a quarterback that is clearly better at, has a better skill set to run your system and you take him out in key spots in the game when he's playing well. And I was really surprised by that, and I think that really damaged Ole Miss's chances to win. Pick your guy, stick with him like you did last week, especially when he's playing well, and you're running the football better when he's in the game. I, I didn't understand that at all, and I'd be surprised if you see more of that moving forward. Maybe Saturday's not your best example because Vanderbilt stinks out loud, but in a couple weeks when you play South Carolina at home, I'd be surprised if you see that. Any other losers? Mike gives us a winner on the ceasefire text line. He uh, points to the leaderboard at the uh, East Lake Cup. East Lake is uh, that's the course where they play the Tour Championship during the uh, regular PGA season. They have um, what's called East Lake Cup for the men's and women's. It is a four-team invitational event, pretty prestigious event. The four teams that played in it this year, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Florida, and Texas on the women's side. And the Ole Miss women's golf team just shot five under par as a team. Kennedy Swan and Ellen Hume both shot three under, and they tied for medalist honors. They both got a trophy when it was all said and done. So uh, Ole Miss women's golf team. Uh, Corey Hinkis, uh, 
Hinchis has done a great job with the women's golf program at uh, at Ole Miss. So you get the men's side tournament happening in Nashville as well. So uh, I probably won't look at that. Let's see. Uh, Ole Miss tied for eighth at 11 under Mississippi State is eight over, and that's through two rounds. That's where you are in that tournament right now. One more day tomorrow coming up. So, let's see. Any other winners and losers from you? I'm trying yeah, to think the, from the – Go ahead. I think the Car- the Arizona Cardinals, outside of Breeze and Peyton, is there a better coach-QB combo than Kingsbury and Murray? I mean, they just fit like a glove. And I wonder if that's going to become something that you see a little bit of going forward. If teams that – you know, they change, they have a top pick – they know they're going to get the quarterback they want. Do they do they design their coaching higher around what that quarterback can do? Because that makes sense. Now you got a guy like Trevor Lawrence. Sure, he can sort of fit where that wherever. But if you got the number two pick and you're going to take Justin Fields, do you go find a quarter a coach who runs an offense that that f- focuses on a mobile quarterback and, and and play to that guy's strengths instead of trying to you know hammer him in a pro style kind of thing? I, I think that the the when Kingsbury was hired, it was we were all sort of panning it, and probably so because I mean he wasn't overly successful at Texas Tech, but they got the right pieces in place there, and that was a big win for them last night. Speaking of Justin Fields, did you see what he did on Saturday? Fantastic! Mm-hmm. He was twenty. In case you didn't see, if not it, for he a was, drop, he was perfect. He was twenty-one of twenty-two, and the one incompletion was a drop touchdown pass in the end zone. Yep. And Nebraska's not good, don't get me wrong, but my goodness. Uh, Greg and Nettleton, I guess he's putting this on the loser's category. Oh, I just remember the fake field goal. Okay, Mr. Logan, go get us eight. That was funny. He's lucky if he makes a field goal. Sprinter speed, that Logan guy there. How about Luke Logan? That did, uh, did not work out well. Did not. Just joining, may have already been covered, but did the SEC clarify the kickoff touch by Auburn recovered by Ole Miss? Just a simple answer. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Don't hold your breath. No. The SEC is not clarified. Although, if you want to listen to Lane Kiffin's comments, it was clarified to him, and he was none too happy, and he sure does wish he could share the results of that conversation with you, but he'll be fine if he does. Hey, Dad, do you think you can dig deep into your uh, contacts and connections list and uh, get Allie McDonald scheduled to uh, visit with us? I think I can make that happen, sure. That'd be lovely. See what I can do. Don't you think it'd be cool, Borky? I would love that, yeah. Cool. We'll just do a little little work on the radio here out for the whole public to see. Pressure is on. It's transparency, though. You know, if there the you. SEC would, and if I can't get her, I'll like come this. on this show and be like, I couldn't do it, yeah. couldn't pull it off. And we'll say, that's okay, man, it happens. If it, it doesn't happen, it won't be because we didn't try. It, exactly. Right. And we got Masters in what, nine days? No, a little more than that. A little more than that. But it's soon. start the 11th. Masters week is the 9th, so two weeks. Yeah, but tournament starts on the yeah. 12th, I think. Is that right? Thursday the 12th is the first day of the tournament? Yeah, but see, it's it's a whole week-long thing for me. Thursday the 12th is the opening round. but Yeah. Um, hey, Dad, in As the Kylan Hill World Turns news, 
We were asked about that on the ceasefire text line. We just had not gotten there yet. Uh, Mike Leach basically said nothing new, right? Yeah, no, no update, still not available. So don't expect to see him uh, on the field or dressed out for Saturday's game at Alabama. Or ever? I'm leaning towards not ever, but you know, they, they, nothing has been done officially one way or the other. I've always said ever and never a long time, so we need to keep that it's true. It's in true. mind, I suppose. But it's also getting late early around here in terms of the 2020 college football season. Uh, I know Tuesday is sometimes the day where we kind of break down what else happened in the SEC, but there were only four games, so I think we've got time to do that this afternoon. Alabama dropped a, uh, dropped a little bomb on Tennessee. Terrible news, though, for Alabama. And by the way, we got a late addition to uh, winners and losers about this uh, as well. Uh, loser Alabama offense and special teams with the loss of Jalen Waddell. Hope he has a speedy and successful recovery. That's from Chase and Summit. That's a bum deal to lose a player of the caliber of Jalen Waddell. What did you think about Nick Saban's halftime comment about that? A lot of people were trying to say that he blamed the kid for his injury and threw him under the bus when he... has no idea what he said. Um, he started it with, you know, we hate it for the kid. He's a heck of a player. College football is better when guys like him are here and, you know, he's out for the season and we just hate it. You know, you're really not supposed to take the ball out of the end zone that deep, but you got to trust your player when they're that good to make that decision. And unfortunately, he got hurt on it, but we're thinking about him and, you know, we love our guy. And people took that headline, Nick Saban throws player under the bus, and it was that. Stop stop looking for for gotcha all the time. I mean, if if, if that's what you take away from Nick Saban saying that, then, you know, you get frustrated when coaches don't talk, you get frustrated when coaches do talk, you know, you, you... You want coaches to be honest and transparent, he gives you a reasonable answer there, and... I mean, Nick Saban really isn't in the habit of throwing players under the bus, is he? No, and especially when he did say, you're really not supposed to take the ball out of the end zone that deep, but we trust our player to make those decisions. It was so completely overblown, but that's what you got. The Nick Saban blames player for his injury. Yeah. 28-10 to 10 at the half. Alabama outscores Tennessee 20-7 to in the second half of the game. I don't know if you know this or not, but Mac Jones has been pretty good this year. But he didn't have a touchdown pass. 25 of 31, 387 yards, no touchdowns. I thought he was picked off one time, was he not? Did that play get turned over? I think so. Yes. Okay, got overturned. So uh, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Bryce Young came in the game late. He was 3 out of 5 throwing the football. Uh, Jared Garantano, he made a couple of beautiful throws. And if I'm a Tennessee fan, that's what's so frustrating to me. Because at times, he will make a throw that is as good as any you will see on a college football Saturday and as good as almost any you will see on a college football Sunday, or excuse me, an NFL Sunday. And then he makes a couple of really bad ones. 13-24, 162, couple of touchdowns. Tennessee ran the ball for a total of 139 yards. Maybe the Alabama defense is not quite as bad as people wanted to make it after their game against Ole Miss. 
No, probably not. I do wonder about Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee, though, because in year three, if if you claim, and they do, that they are a national power, and there are people that cover the sport on a national basis that still think Tennessee belongs among the blue blood. So if you're going to be that, being completely non-competitive against Alabama in year three is unacceptable, right? I mean, the SEC scheduling model is absurd in part to preserve this game being played on this day every year. And it's 15, what is it, 15 straight wins for Alabama, most of which were blowouts. But in terms of Jeremy Pruitt, he fired his defensive line coach in the middle of a game last week and then is completely unable to be competitive with Alabama. At some point, don't you have to wonder, if you're a Tennessee fan, what you're doing here? Yeah. Speaking of non-competitive, Kentucky was non-competitive against Missouri. What? What is Kentucky? I have no flipping. What even are they? A team that was better with a wide receiver at quarterback than a quarterback at quarterback. You're not wrong. In terms of total offense, Kentucky ran thirty-six. Plays. 36 plays for 145 yards in an American tackle college football game. Are you reading a box score from 1937 or? They had 98 yards rushing net and 47 yards passing net. Terry Wilson was 3 of 9 for 35 yards and a touchdown. Joey Gatewood was one of four for 12 yards. They combined to go four of 13 for 47 yards. Missouri wasn't like gangbusters offensively. They're a lot better than we thought they would be, though, Missouri. 220 yards on the ground. Connor Bazelak was good. 21 of 30, 201 yards through the air. So Kentucky ran again. 36 offensive plays. If you Missouri do that, you're almost either blown out. Them. Yeah. If you do that, you're either getting blown out or you're just killing the other team because you're just hitting 50, 60 yard chunks at a time. Yeah, they didn't do that. In, Kentucky, in Kentucky's case, it was the former. Missouri ran 92 plays in the game. How game hard must that year? game have been to watch if you were a Kentucky fan? Brutal. That game at the end of the year for State is very interesting. I, I, I was already wondering, you know, I always thought State would win it. But even com- you know, coming right after the Egg Bowl, you're like, well, you know, it could be emotionally spent. We'll have to see. But now, oof. Could just be that Missouri's a better team. Could just be. That was LSU one of my bold predictions. Like- that's, I think, the only one that's still going strong. But that was one of them. Yeah. Was what? Missouri was going to be better than we thought? Yeah, and I went so far. Of course, it was bold prediction day to say that uh, Eli Drinkwitz would be in the conversation for SEC Coach of the Year. Yeah, he and uh, Sam Pittman both are. Yes. I kind of have a feeling that Arkansas is going to string a couple of losses together here coming up. LSU looked like a different team on Saturday night. Now... Is it a function of South Carolina, the opponent? I don't know, because South Carolina 
missed three field goals, and at times gashed LSU defensively. Um, Told Kevin you about Harris, that Harris kid. He's a player. Averaged ten and a half yards a carry and had two touchdowns in the game. It was kind of feast or famine for the LSU defense. They got five sacks in the game, but then they gave up a bunch of big plays also. LSU rolled up 541 yards of total offense. Tyron Davis-Price, 135 yards rushing. John Emery had 88 yards rushing. LSU hangs 52 on South Carolina. If you're going to make a uh, – can we go back to losers real quick? This guy right here for picket. Why on earth would I ever pick Will Muschamp? That was dumb, and I won't do that again. It's just crazy what they're trying to do offensively. I I just don't understand the approach, especially when you're down in a game. I mean, it'd be different if you know they had a little lead or something like that. They're getting beat significantly, and they still just mosey on up to the huddle, break the huddle, mosey on up to the line of scrimmage, run a little motion, maybe do a check at the line, snap the ball with five seconds left. All night long. It's crazy that a coach lets that happen. When we come back to wrap up the 4 o'clock hour, we will revisit our picks from the weekend. Brian Haydad was incrementally better, though he didn't make up any ground in the overall standings. Michael Borky took a step back, and I just kind of kept treading water. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Good to be with you on this Monday. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm on this Monday. Thanks for being with us. You want to be part of the show, you can do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Want double the data for the same dang price? Now all prepaid by C Spire plans get double the high-speed data through the end of the year. No bull, just better wireless. Learn more at cspire.com. Slash prepaid. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad with you. Thanks for being with us. We're celebrating National Pork Month and reintroducing you to real pork. Together, let's celebrate everything that is real about pork, real stories, real pig farmers, and the real way people feel when they enjoy the authentic flavors of pork. Go to pork.org slash real dash pork to learn more. It's kind of a weekly celebration in the Borky house, but hey, I appreciate the daily. Month. As I said, more of a daily thing for us. <laughs> the uh, the the day that we don't have pork is uh, the anomaly, not the uh, not the norm. All right, time for the college football fix. No, it is not. No, it's not. I'm sorry. That's coming up <laughs> in just a couple of minutes. Getting my ahead of myself. Michael Borky will keep me in line. I promised you that we would revisit our picks. Uh, do we have to? Yeah, we can do that. I mean, I think we can skip this and talk about um, um, Michael Borky thought that he was going to be off the else. hook because he was not here on Friday, and I sent him a message like, hey, you're going to need your picks. So he texted them to me. We had Auburn as a three-and-a-half-point favorite at Ole Miss. I picked Ole Miss, so did Borky. Brian Haydad, via his trusty quarter, flipped it and picked Auburn. 
I think that should be a win, though, because the refs and stuff. So technically, I went two and two. So go ahead and write that down on on your notes there, and and we'll all, we'll all be happy and move on. All three of us picked Alabama. All three of us were correct. All three of us picked Kentucky. All three of us were wrong. Mr. Haydad and Mr. Borky picked South Carolina. I got LSU, and so I went two and two. Haydad went two and two, and Borky went one and three. Two and two with the revised uh, officiating deal. So it's a process. It's a process. It's a process. Uh, No matter who they play, I will never pick South Carolina again. It will not happen. Just like Haydad. I will never pick them again. As long as Will Muschamp is the coach. I mean, they yeah, can change it, coaches. Like, when they hire Napier or something, then sure, I'll be back on. But no, not anymore. For the year, Brian Haydad picks up a game on Michael Borky. He is now 10-20, and 20, 10 games below five hundred. We're getting there. Michael Borky now just three games ahead of Haydad in our standings at 13-17. and 17. And I stay in the lead, but don't really pick up much ground. 16 and 14 on the year, two games above 500. None of that is just overly impressive, if we're being honest. Oh, no, it's bad. I do much better in the NFL. Do you? I do. I mean, and by the way, here's a free bet for you. I think that the Saints still play in October, right? No, they don't. Just kidding. The Saints are undefeated in October since 2016. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And that was a win yesterday without Thomas or Sanders. So a little guy named Marquez Callaway stepped up again. It's a name you might be familiar with, but since Tennessee is a dumpster fire, he never really got the football there. He was really good in college. Though. He was. I was really surprised he went undrafted, and the Saints have done it again. Get a super talented kid for next to nothing. Amazing. He's wearing 12, too. How how appropriate. Were you surprised that, um, at least at this point, John Bostic has not been fined for his hit on Andy Dalton? Oh, and they've it's gone official. He's not going to be. No fine, no suspension. Ejected in the game, helmet to helmet. Dalton going into a slide mode as... Nasty and egregious a hit as you're going to see. That is no fine. That is as targeting as targeting could possibly get. That dude literally tried to decapitate Andy Dalton, and it's not even targeting. It's just a cheap shot. Yeah, and Haydad was it's right. Not earlier. even a football play. There's something wrong with the culture in Dallas because not a single cowboy came to their quarterback's defense. I don't care that it's not Dak anymore. Even if you don't even really like Dalton. You can't let somebody do that to your guy and do nothing about it. And if you had ejected for it, so be it. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry would have go probably find, paid your uh, fine for you. Go back and find when, uh, I think it was Kiko Alonso hit Joe Flacco a few years back. And the, I don't know who, I think it was maybe Yanda for the Ravens. I mean, he just went right after it. Put, him, put a forearm right in his mouth. It's, it's the way it's got to be. There's got to be some some vigilante justice in those situations. Amari Cooper just stands there and watches it. Where are the offensive linemen? How do you not have four offensive linemen that go and just absolutely swarm John Bostic? Culture. That's why. Would the reaction have been different if somebody had taken that shot at Dak? Believe so. You would think so. You would hope if you're him. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Two hours in the books. College football fix when we come back. 
o'clock hour with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm on this Monday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad, thank you for being with us. Going to be part of the conversation. We'd love to hear from you on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. It was a little premature just a moment ago. It is now time for the College Football Fix. Truck Month at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. The College Football Fix is driven by Ford. Stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer for savings on the best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years. That is the Ford F-150. You can also check out the Super Duty and the Ranger during Truck Month. So Mike Leach met with the media to preview Mississippi State's game coming up today. I'm sorry, coming up Saturday on the road in Tuscaloosa. First of all, hey, Dad, I'll ask you about this. We don't necessarily have to dive deep into it right now. But Mississippi State is a 33-point underdog. Yeesh. Yeah, I, uh, the first number that I thought of was 2016, the trip over to Alabama. That was a really bad team. Uh, and they were only a 29-point underdog. So this is uh, as, as big a margin as I can remember seeing for Mississippi State. And we'll off the top of my it. head... I mean, right now, I'm leaning towards taking Alabama. Really? I, mean, I just don't think State can score. Yeah. Especially with the way Alabama's played defense the last couple of weeks. I would definitely take the under, because I don't think Alabama's going to score 62. So the total 62 in the line is 33 in the game. Yeah. Um, press conference with Mike Leach started out by being asked about the availability of Kylan Hill. Here's what he had to say. Uh, no, no update. No update. He's uh, uh, yeah, still unavailable. Joel, I know that uh, you, you said that it, it would be kind of a battle, I guess, at quarterback leading into the Alabama game. Uh, just to this point, what's kind of your thoughts on on where KJ and Will stand headed into this week? Uh, I think they're neck and neck, and we'll continue to uh, we'll continue to split the reps this week. Uh, for the first uh, couple practices. Let's pause there for a second. Is that surprising at all that that would be the answer? Do you hate it? That's, that's the no, not no. He's not going to name the starter on on Monday. Uh, he'll let it get to the weekend before he makes that. I mean, he may have already made his decision, but as far as making it public, we we won't find that out until probably close to kickoff on on Saturday. Yeah, he did stuff like that all off season. I'm asking you to answer a question you probably don't know the answer to, but do you think there has been a decision made and he's just being coy with the media because that's what he does? I would say it leans towards the decisions made, and I think it leans towards Rodgers getting the start, but it's very possible that he's going to start Costello because starting a true freshman at Alabama is not the not the best way to get things going for your college career. Yeah. And if indeed you knew that, you were going to start Will Rogers. You would think that you would get him as many first-team reps in practice as you could. I mean, uh, maybe you really think. are using practice to figure out what you want to do this week. Very possible, yeah. Uh, again, you know, what Leach tells us and what actually is are, can be two different things. So it's very possible that Rogers is getting the majority of the reps. But I, I won't be completely surprised if they just decide to go with Costello being a senior over there just, just to see what happens. And saying the reps are going to be split does not necessarily mean they're going to be split 50-50. Right, right. 
We'll see. All right, here's more of Mike Leach. I think. Again, I don't have an impression in the in the in the locker. So, yeah, we'll try this again. All tomorrow. right. Well, it's great talking to you guys. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Nailed it. Thanks, coach. Great. Actually, I think the uh, deal was there was a hang up in the uh, the Zoom call there um, as he was waiting for uh, another to question to uh, come in. Uh, he was asked about Fred Peters being out and says, uh, you know, with regard to safety, kind of a committee right now. Number of guys doing some pretty good stuff, trying to refine the position. Got a committee doing pretty good. I don't know if Zach Arnett's going to maintain the committee or if he's got a specific one. I suspect it'll be a couple of guys. How big a deal is that, hey, Dad, for Mississippi State? And how well had Fred Peters been playing? He's been playing really well. I mean, when you're playing as a group playing that well, you don't really want anything to come in and upset the apple cart. Uh, But State secondary has been a pleasant surprise this year. Uh, so far, they've played really well, and uh, Peters was a big part of that. Good news for MSU fans is that his plan is to come back, take advantage of the extra year of eligibility, and return to Starkville for a, uh, a third season uh, here. But for this season, you know, guys like Marcus Murphy, um, and then you know, hopefully CJ Morgan Walker can be back, or I guess he's just CJ Morgan now, uh, can be back in the lineup. I mean, you're coming on about a year from his uh, injury against LSU. Where he where he had to leave and, and has has been out ever since. So possibly getting him back into the rotation. Uh, you know, states had some guys back there that played really well. Fred Peters among them, but the secondary as a whole has been a, a very pleasant surprise for me. Leach was asked if Alabama is one of the best teams that he's ever coached against, and he said, "Yeah, I think so. They're fast. Occasionally, I've played against some really fast teams that weren't as big as others. But you know, these guys are big. They're fast. The thing is." Most of their players we're already familiar with in the recruiting process. They're the guys that hovered around the top of the lists. Well, he's right about that. Yeah. Um, with regard to the focus during the bye week, we're young enough. It was fundamentals, fundamentals, and then more fundamentals. We've had some good hard practices. We did some good on good, which I thought was beneficial. It was competitive. Saw progress. Did appreciate the efforts our guys uh, effort our guys gave. I still think we're a work in progress. We've got to keep taking steps and improving. And this answer, a little interesting, about level of patience with quarterbacks learning his system. And he says, long story short, I think the more exposure they have, the better. Both guys have performed well in practice. I don't really like splitting reps with quarterbacks. I like to settle on one. I would prefer that approach, but we've been awfully up and down. We need to figure out who gives us the best spark. It's definitely competitive at the position this week. We'll see where that takes us. See if MSU can maybe you know, just just. I think if they could just look competent and put a couple touchdowns on the board, they would give you a lot of confidence going into the last month of the season when you're playing. You know, weaker teams outside of Georgia. You know, your next after this game, you're at four of your next five are Vandy, Auburn, Ole Miss, and Missouri. Those are all teams that. Have flaws that are beatable. So, but they, they need to get some sort of. And it's tough to get a spark against Alabama, obviously. But if they, I'm not saying they're going to lose the way Ole Miss lost to them. But could they just, you know, put a couple of drives together and get in the end zone and just give themselves a touch of confidence? That might go a long way. Uh let's see. Mike Leach was also asked about. Um, what you alluded to just a second ago, hey, Dad. He says, uh, the question was, if Will Rogers starts at quarterback, is it concerning to throw him into playing on such a big stage for the first time? 
He says, well, I'm already concerned with it, so I don't know if it makes it more concerning. Biggest thing is for any quarterback, regardless of the stage, worry about what you can do. Got to be guys that are able to do that, worry about ourselves, and just know your best is always enough because that's what you've got. Go out there, focus on doing your best in all settings. That builds over time and everybody together, then you get better and better as a group. So kind of avoids the question. Yeah, very very coach-speaky answer there. I'll give your you and your colleagues credit for for trying. Is there a timetable throughout the rest of the season where you would hope you've had you have a solidified starter, or is that something that could continue for the next five games? He says, "I hope not, but it could. You try to get that thing settled in over the years. At least from my experience, we've been able to do it most of the time. But right now, we've got two guys that are fairly comparable. I think they've got to go battle it out, and we'll see." He was not taking to- the bait on any quarterback questions. It's like trying to catch a greased-up pig. I mean, you just do the best you can. Yeah. So some of Mike Leach's thoughts as Mississippi State gets ready for Alabama on Saturday night. It is Saturday night, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Kickoff times this coming week. Olmos and Vanderbilt, by the way, are at 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Kentucky, Georgia is at 11 2.30 2.30 for LSU and Auburn, 3 o'clock for Ole Miss and Vanderbilt, 6 o'clock on ESPN for Mississippi State and Alabama, 6.30 for Arkansas and Texas A&M, and then also a 6.30 kick for Missouri and Florida. That game is actually on SEC Network Plus, the Missouri-Florida game. That one was moved around, right? It was moved yes. up a week? Yeah. Yes. So... Dan Mullen, by the way, saying today that uh, he believed they were going to have the 53 necessary to play on Saturday. Oh, so. well, you know. Let's Sweet blue helmets, by the way. Yeah, they are cool. Throwback to the 60s uniforms, isn't that right? The year Gatorade was invented. I love that old Gatorade commercial where you had Keith Jackson kind of doing the narration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's pretty good stuff. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We will be right back to College Football Fix. Carter and Ole Miss Athletics to, uh, issues a statement. Ready for this? Over the last three days, we've had multiple very direct conversations about the lack of review at the end of Saturday's football game with the SEC office, including Commissioner Sankey and Coordinator of Officials John McDade. Understandably, we were very disappointed with the outcome, and there is no explanation that can erase the frustration of our players, coaches, staff, and fans we hope our substantial discussions can improve how plays like this are officiated in the future. As a program, we are turning the page and looking forward to seeing our team take the field at Vanderbilt this weekend. You will take your medicine and you will like it, do you understand? Does so this happen? Does what happened on Saturday happen to Alabama? 
Absolutely not. No. You know that. You knew that when you asked the question. Oh, right. One hundred percent. I know. One hundred percent. That play gets reviewed. I meant to say rhetorical, not hyperbolic, but you got my point. Yeah, and so, I mean, I, I guess Keith knows there's nothing he can do, I'm sure, because there's no. nothing he can do. I wonder what these conversations are are like. Do you think the SEC is actually listening to him? Or because he's got Ole Miss on his lapel pin, no, instead I, I, of a curse of A, are they less likely to hear him out? That. That's what I want to know, because I just asked the question, does this happen to Alabama? It's a hard no. No, but it's because it doesn't happen to Alabama in real time. Had it happened to Alabama, the the reaction that you've gotten from the league office would be the same. Would it? Yeah. They wouldn't. So the league office, the, the head of officials would tell Nick Saban, here's the explanation for why a bad call caused your team to lose the game. You can't tell anybody, though. Would he accept that? And would it just... And, if and he didn't Greg accept Byrne it, would, he'd pay the fine for breaking the policy. And Greg Byrne would release a statement and, and they would just move on? See, that, that I think... And I'm going full on conspiracy here, but I, it would be handled it, entirely different if this actually did happen to Alabama. There would be a policy change. There would be more transparency from the league. Something what, would happen. What, what, what policy change do you implement? I mean, policy is there that the play should have been reviewed. It just wasn't. Give coaches challenges like the NFL, challenge flags. Something. Something would well, be I mean, done. Coaches can challenge it now. Lane Kiffin could have challenged that call on the field Saturday. Well, he was told not to. He was told that they already looked at it. He was told that they had looked at it. I mean, the, and they the didn't guy see can't anything. tell him challenge or don't challenge. They said they looked at it and didn't see anything. If he challenges there and he's wrong, he loses the timeout. That's the worst thing that happens. Just think if he had challenged it, and they had here's the thing. Now, now you want to talk about conspiracy? What if they had challenged it and gone back and look at looked at it, and you, me, your mom, and your great 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 grandmother who died 150 years ago could see without question that the Auburn player's finger moved meaning he touched it, and it was recovered immediately in the end zone and should have been a touchdown, what if they had upheld the call on the field then? Because guess what? You remember when they reviewed the play right before the half against Kentucky? They actually reviewed that one. Yeah. And every single breathing human being that watched that go, oh, that's a touchdown. Except... The replay center, in which they upheld the call on the field. I guess that's, that's what I don't understand about it. I mean, look, I mean, I, I'm not sure at this point what else you do if you're Ole Miss. There's, there's I not mean, much. Does, you can I'm do. sorry, make it any better? No, but the the lack of transparency in it going like this is a problem, and then. I mean, the both of you just said this wouldn't have happened to Alabama. And the league office just happens to be in Birmingham where all of the powerful people happen to live. I mean, I I don't think it's a thing of where's the league office. I mean, I I know a lot of people love to look at that and say, well, you know, uh, more than X percentage of the officials come from the state of Alabama. 
It, it's what I always say. They're not biased. They're just incompetent. Then They're not good at their jobs. So they're magically competent, though, when it's Alabama. They're not magically competent. You, they miss a ton of calls against Alabama. But, they just happen to go in Alabama's favor. But it's not. I'm telling you, it's not bias. It's it's just they're just not good at their jobs. You guys not, did both just say this wouldn't have happened to Alabama, though. Yes, I agree it wouldn't have happened to Alabama, but because I think that Alabama gets the benefit of the doubt because they are the preeminent program in college football, not because the league office is located in Birmingham. But that's just a problem. See that? But that's a problem. But it's always been a problem. That's not new. Now, now you're on my page. That's the point. Is that this isn't new? This is just—it's weekly. Kentucky got screwed over. Arkansas yeah, got screwed saying, over. Saying, but now. the constant here—the the, the constant in sports—is better teams get more calls. Yes. Period. It's Kentucky basketball, but it's not just Kentucky basketball. It's Auburn basketball when they're really good. Hey, Dad, I would venture a guess that some of those Mississippi State teams, basketball teams that were really, really good, got more calls along the way than some of the recent additions of Mississippi State that have been not so good. Probably an accurate statement. I know for a fact, from watching it with my own eyes, when Ole Miss was really good in basketball and was competing every other year for an SEC Western Division title, and the stakes were higher for Ole Miss, they got more calls. And and I don't think that is, again, I don't think it's bias. I think it's just human nature. You expect things to go right for teams that are good. Alabama is good all the time, and it's why they get more calls. And, And I think, you know, that can be right or wrong. I just believe that's true. Oh, it's dead wrong. It's wrong. No, no, I mean, like, it can be right or wrong in terms of whether or not that's an accurate statement. Whether it's, like, morally or ethically or, you know, black and white right or wrong, yes, of course it's wrong. It should be officiated evenly regardless of who the teams are. But I think there's a human element nature that goes into officiating that when you get used to watching a team that is superior athletically, physically, scoreboard, whatever – Every time they step on the field, they're going to get more calls. They don't get all the calls. I mean, ask an Alabama fan. They'll tell you they get screwed all the time. Yeah, well, they're idiots. Well, I mean, okay. But, Al- I mean, hey, hey, I mentioned it a second ago. I mean, Alabama has calls that go against them. Nick Saban goes crazy on the sideline when it happens. Yeah, this this is this hasn't happened to them. Not not anything like this. Not what happened with Kentucky a few weeks ago, and not what happened with Arkansas a few weeks ago. This this from the SEC is indefensible, and it's not a well. The it's not like Auburn's a good team. When has Auburn been good? Twenty thirteen was the last time. I know they went to a Sugar Bowl, but that was a four loss football team. This isn't Auburn being good getting calls this year. They're officiating away from being zero and five. So the better team gets the call thing doesn't apply to this situation whatsoever. They're not good. They're not. The league is failing here, and they have for a long time. 
what is going on is indefensible. What happened to Arkansas is indefensible. What happened to Kentucky is indefensible. The way they've approached it is indefensible. And this has been a problem, as you guys have said, for years. And the league does nothing, publicly at least, to address it. They still have financial advisors in Birmingham officiating Auburn games. That is something that should not be allowed, even if it's not his fault. And I agree, it's the replay guy, but just... You're you're adding fuel to an existing fire of there was an egregious mistake from the officials that directly impacted a game involving Auburn and the official is a financial advisor in Birmingham with ties to the university. If they really cared about all but of the, this, but the it guys wasn't would be the official. It was the replay official. The guy on the field had nothing to do I with that. I just acknowledged that. I literally just said it. I just said that. But then I, but you just said again that he whole, had ties in Birmingham and right, has a... But you could eliminate that if you did this the right way. If you had full-time guys that you pulled from a national pool instead of right up the road from your league office. You would eliminate any call for bias, any call for anything, if you just were transparent about it and maybe had a bigger pool of officials instead of getting guys from Birmingham. That's what I'm saying. The league is failing, and it's clear to everybody... It, I guess not everybody. Favorite teams like no one else on the Super Talk app, supertalk.fm, and on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. A little mixed reaction from you on the Ceasefire text line. This one's interesting to me. And this is a case of you hear what you want to hear. How in the world Richard is sticking up for and defending the SEC refs is beyond belief. It's clearly a corrupt organization with huge conflicts of interest that they do nothing to correct. Fans are sick of it. It's not a corrupt organization. Sure, there's some conflicts of interest. And I'm not sure what I've done today that made you think I was defending Southeastern Conference referees. No, you were just uh, challenging points I made. That doesn't mean you... It, it, I, it's just, you don't think it's as deep as, as I do, but clearly we're in agreement that there was a failure on Saturday. That's all. The, the, there and, was. And it, it, just one other thought, Hayden. And you jump in here, too. The idea that, okay, just go out and hire a bunch of full-time referees and you can afford to do it. I, I don't disagree that you can afford to do it. But why do you think it's going to be any different? How many times have we talked about officiating in the NFL? Where what do you have? You have blown calls. All the time. Some that cost your favorite team a trip to the Super Bowl. Not trying to pour salt in any still too fresh wounds. They're not all full-time. That's all they do, though. No, some are, some are not. Yeah. Um, They brought some of them in also. But that's kind of the would, point. But though. the point remains the same, I guess, is that there's just a human element to officiating, and they're going to miss calls. It happens in every single game that is played. Right. The, the issue on Saturday was not missing the call. It wasn't. The issue was the failure of the mechanism in place to fix an egregiously missed call that did not happen. 
it, it's not Mark Curl's fault. He was not in a position to see whether it touched or not, and it's kind of a tough angle for the side judge. I think they should probably let the play edge out. Some people have said, well, they would have given it to Auburn anyway because the play was blown dead. No, the, the rule that's in place is if there is a continuous and immediate recovery, then that happens even if the whistle blows. Ole Miss recovered that ball in the end zone. It would have been a touchdown for Ole Miss had the call on the field been overturned. The issue is not that they missed the call in real time because it was a hard call to make and it was really, really close. The issue is that they didn't stop the game to go to replay and look at all the angles that made it abundantly clear that the call was missed and therefore should have been a touchdown. That was the issue. And I don't I even say, know how that happens. Sorry, hey, Dad, go ahead. I will say I do agree with Borky in that there are these conflict of interest, they, they are easy to get rid of. They, they just are. There just needs to be... It, it's just like anything else in terms of nepotism, in terms of, you know, bad optics. When you apply for jobs, people take those things into account. The same thing has to be said here. The same thing has to be done here. It's it, There are enough people in America that could be officials that don't have connections to SEC institutions that you could just eliminate that, that appearance of impropriety, which seems to crop up every time we have one of these kind of uh, these kind of calls. I go back to the 2018 game, Mississippi State versus Alabama, with that ho- horrific block in the back call that was called on uh, on Mississippi State. And you find out that the, that back judge had, you know, his father had played football at Alabama or something like that. It's just, how does that guy get that assignment? It, it, it's so simple to say, hey, Jim, your dad played football at Alabama. You can't officiate Alabama football games. You're going to Missouri this week, buddy. It, it's simple stuff that they don't do, and that's what creates the the atmosphere of conspiracy. When there's simple things that could be fixed and they don't fix them, that's what makes you believe, okay, something bigger is in play here. I don't necessarily believe that. I just think they're all poor at their jobs. I have for years. And, and there is a crisis, there's an officiating crisis in the United States, period. And that, take this the way I mean it, not what the way you want it to sound, in numbers, they are struggling to find officials for high school football. The SEC is struggling to find guys to move up the ladder to get into the SEC. The NFL, frankly, struggles to bring the right guys up to the NFL. I mean, climbing this ladder. And so it really goes all the way down to junior high football, where it's like there's not a feeder system in there. And if that's because of the compensation related to it, if it's because of the criticism that goes along with it, if it's because just of a lack of interest, I, I don't know what it is. But I've had, you know, coordinators of officials and, you know, scheduling secretaries at the high school level told me we've got a serious problem in that we do not have enough qualified officials, even at the high school level. So yeah. it's a bit of a mess all over the That's place. how you end up with what we had a few weeks ago where we were talking about uh, South Panola and, and Germantown, right? There you where, go. I mean, you just, you just have these issues. But what? somebody has to do it. I mean, I don't know how you do it. Again, that's one of those situations where it's not my job to figure it out. I just know there's a problem, and it needs to be fixed. Wouldn't increased compensation help more people want to become that? I mean, if you if doctors got paid $25,000 a year, nobody would go to medical school. But you go through medical school and take out loans and stuff because you've got a crazy good salary coming. 
possibly a similar situation here. You have a ref shortage or a hard time finding them because it's really not worth it. But if you increase the pay with all the money that you're bringing in, maybe not after COVID, but generally speaking, so so what's the right amount of money to pay an SEC football official? Enough to where it's their full-time job. And they do basketball games as well, if you can pull that off. I don't know how you work that out. Which you can do. You can do that. Have them do football games and basketball games and on, on a full-time basis where they get significantly more training. And they're There's not Gerald Boudreaux at an SEC football game. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> and they're not day. spending Monday through Friday working hard at a day job. Yeah. That might be the solution, and it may not be the solution. And the NFL example, I think, is a good one because the question is never going to be, how can you get them perfect? Because that's just not possible. It's never going to happen. But you can also, I mean, there's no pool reporter meetings after college games. You have that in professional sports. It's harder to scrutinize a guy, just a regular guy that lives down the road and you know runs a bank or something or is an eye doctor. And on the weekends he flies out to Knoxville to, to call games. It's, you can allow yourself to have more transparency when it's not the guy that lives in Hoover or that lives outside what, of Atlanta yeah. or something like that. It, it allows you to be more transparent without risking somebody's day job when this is all that they do. Somebody could create a, a firm of quote-unquote replay officials. You don't work for the SEC. You work for this firm, and they are assigned to games. And the SEC and the Big 12 just subcontract these places out and that person, somebody who's not connected, is the one handling the officiating, handling the the replay ideas. That's just, I mean, that's a little more complicated idea to put into practice, but it's an idea that somebody who is not working for the Southeastern Conference is is the replay official. Well, and it's two tiered right now. I mean, the replay yeah, are, you, you are have both, both tiers SEC. I mean, they're not. I mean. I guess technically they're paid by the SEC, but then you get somebody who is not paid by the SEC to do this. It would be nice if the NCAA had any yeah. sense of we can. Oh, yeah, you want NCAA. the NCAA involved with football? Yeah. It would yeah, be nice if, idea, if, they had, if they had some competence to where you know you would. The think NCAA that, can call Congress and they'll get it done. Let's but get Anthony like, Gonzalez on the phone. You know, hey, write another Brian, bill. Brian Haydad, I, you have no connection to Missouri versus Tennessee. You're the replay official this week. And if I had enough working knowledge of the rule book, which you know I have some, but there are obviously some things I don't know. I didn't know the thing about the kickoff a second ago. But somebody like that, hey, he's got no connection to either school. He's the replay official. Borky, why don't you get into officiating? Um, I would love to. Okay. Do we connect you? you know, yeah. Because you get started at the junior high or high school level. That'd be fun. What sport are you in? Oh, wait. There is one thing. You can't trip over a curb and break your foot during the game. Well, there's no curbs on the field, so that'd be all right. The refer- tell Daniel Jones that. I mean, he just... <laughs> what did he I trip mean, on? Didn't you trip over a trash can one time? There was that one time Tennessee had a trash can on the sideline, so that could be an mm-hmm. occupational hazard. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Michael Borky wants to be uh, football or basketball or both? I'll do both. Okay, I'll get you connected. Please do. Sure will.
Uh, quick look at the uh, line. And by the way, if you're listening, if you're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi and you are somebody that is like pretty interested in that, you're like, I've always wondered how to get into it. Well, like I told you a second ago, I have been told by the people who assign games in the state of Mississippi that there is a severe shortage of officials. You're not going to get rich when you get started. You're going to make a little bit of money, but not a lot. It's a long play. But if you want us to connect you to the people who assign games in the state of Mississippi and you want to start that process, let me know. We'll connect you. A Super Talk Mississippi media production. 